I just wanted to dovetail off of a couple things that you said. One, from the sermon, the um, you were talking about drawing a line, the importance for us as Christians, where do we start pushing back, and the, I, the Romans 13 idea that we just submit to everything unless it's a specifically commanded that... Which is, in principle, that is the historic teaching of the church. You submit unless it specifically violates God's commands or forbids obedience to God's commands. That is, as a principle, that's true. But if you're going to draw that as a hard and fast line, there's no room for wisdom, there's no room for any kind of civil disobedience or anything else. The question, the, my, my point is, and you, it's not conspiracy theory, you can look around in our, in our nation today, that line, just keep gonna get, keep, that line is going to continue to be pushed. To a point where there's stuff that we should resist, but if we're not already thinking in these terms and biblically prepared to, we won't. Like California, when the government says don't sing in church, is it technically a sin to not sing in church? No. Technically, it's not a sin to not sing in church. Is it technically a sin to not meet at church for a year? Well, I mean, if you're a Christian that lives in deepest, darkest Africa and there's no church, are you in sin? Well, no. But you see how that line progresses. Now, in China, the government says you can reopen after COVID if you open with the national anthem and a speech about how... Our, no, I'm not joking. This is yeah. serious. Yeah. You open with a speech about how the communist government successfully delivered us all from coronavirus. And if you do these things, you may reopen. And this is a true story. This is current events. Well, is that technically a sin? Is it a sin to sing the Chinese national anthem? Is it a sin... To talk about how the government has done great things. Well, it's a sin to, to lie. So, I mean, we're getting really yeah. close. But yeah. my, my point is that that line is just going to keep getting pushed. It may never come to a point where they say, okay, you must say the President of the United States is God incarnate. And if we're waiting for that, then we're going to end up making a bunch of compromises that should have struck us as saying, wait a second, Christ doesn't bow to Caesar. No way are we starting with the national anthem. You don't have the right to forbid us from worshiping God. No way. No way. So we need to work on, right now, formulating that line from a biblical perspective and not waiting, expecting it to, well, eventually it'll be obvious. I, uh, we, I, would contend it should be getting obvious right here, right now. The other thing I wanted to comment on was from prayer time. Um, we're praying for this family being sued just wanted to give a quick biblical... We have to understand biblically why we object to this. So a quick biblical response to what's to, to that situation. Number one, Dad already mentioned it, the confusion of created and inherent versus chosen and immoral characteristics. Not going to spend a lot of time on that. That should be obvious. There's one race. We were all, we're all descended from Adam and Eve. We're all sinners. We're all redeemed by Christ. So, black and white, you know, racism, that's, that is one category. And racism is sinful. We're all one race, and we can all be redeemed by the blood of Christ. Sexual perversion is a separate category. You are not born gay. You choose sexual choices, which either line up with God's word, or they violate God's word. The church cannot compromise on that. That is a sin category. And to compromise on that is to leave the word of God and to undermine the gospel. That's point number one, is that those two issues have been con confused, so where that's all civil rights now. Homosexuality is a civil right now. 
transgenderism is a civil right. No, no, the, we must draw a clear distinction. There's the civil rights of your, your race or your gender. You're born with that, male, female, black, white. And then this other category of choices, which God said, this is how I want you to live. And to violate that is a moral issue. Number two, however, we kind of lost this battle when we left biblical law in the civil rights era. Because biblical law should have been our model for, for how, we, how we deal with civil rights. Um, and I want to read a couple of verses real quick. The, the Bible tells us about loving foreigners. So this is in response to racism, right? What does the Bible say in response to racism? The Bible says things like Leviticus 19.10, Nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am Yahweh, your God. Deuteronomy 24, 19-21, When you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow, in order that Yahweh, your God, may bless you in all the work of your hands. It's for the alien. It's for the other races. In other words, God's law leads to kindness to the other races. God, the Bible does not lead to racism. The Bible leads to the end of racism. However, God's law never says, that I'm aware of, open to being proven wrong, but as far as I'm aware, the Bible never says that if you don't, if you aren't kind to the foreigners, if you don't leave the edges of your field, then there is going to be a civil penalty to punish you. In other words, the Bible says, you be kind to other races, don't be a racist, because God will bless you for loving other people who are made in his image. God will bless you for being generous. He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. The Bible doesn't say, okay, Levites, you need to go and police everyone and make sure that they are giving the amount that they should be giving to the foreigner. Why is this important? Well, this is important because we began undermining the principle of private property when we left that. When we started to dictate, you, you must if you in your restaurant you must serve all races when we started dictating that from a government level we opened the door to now okay now you must uh, if you're a christian baker now you must bake a cake for a homosexual wedding now i'm not arguing for that that white restaurant owners should keep black people out of their establishments that is wicked that is racism it is a violation of honoring the image of god in other people however that is something that the free market and the judgment of God can punish them for. Amen. That is not something that the state should punish them for. Amen. If they do an actual crime, if they violate a law, then that is something that the state should punish. But at that point, we're back to law instead of policing your thoughts, your motives, your ideas, your desires, your jerkiness. That's not the government's job. The government's job is to punish Actual acts of evil defined by God's word. There's a spectrum. There are some acts of evil that fall in the category of, okay, you're a jerk. And as such, I'm not going to your restaurant. We have to leave room for that category. The Bible does. The Bible leaves room for that category. God does not institute a law that punishes everyone for every single little act of badness. And that's a crucial distinction that if we miss, we step into tyranny. about um, 